Hello! It's been a very long time, but welcome to Live and Let's Discuss. I'm Jeremy. I'm Noah. And we're talking about, sadly, the last Timothy Dalton Bond film. License to Kill. We'll also talk about the John Gardner novelization, which I don't have a whole lot to say about most of it, because it's pretty much... A lot of it's straightforward and novelization. But there's one thing we have to talk about, which is the fun thing. Yes, yes. This one, th I say that this is the John Gardner novelization that has effort put into it. Mm -hmm. The next novelization he does is very much a novelization. Mm -hmm. So, License to Kill, the first time that Bond went rogue. The only good time. When the only broke. good time, yeah. Noah, what's uh, License to Kill about? License to Kill. It is very 80s, but in a, but in a different style than Living Daylights. Mm -hmm. The story, we begin with a very great sequence. Bond and Felix Leiter are going to Felix Leiter's wedding. But during the trip there, they have to deal with a drug lord, essentially, Franz Sanchez, mm -hmm. uh, someone who Felix has already been dealing with in his job, and they successfully take him down, then the wedding happens, it's like, you know, happy time, but then Sanchez breaks out, and he kills, he has Felix's newlywed wife killed, kidnaps Felix, and fets him to a shark. And um, he, but he leaves leaves him alive. He Felix just loses a leg essentially, and, and then arm. Bond and an arm, and then Bond. Uh, obviously, not very happy about this. Uh, makes it his own mission, you know, to just abandon his job, his own responsibilities, and go after Sanchez in revenge. Mm -hmm. And during yeah. that, he's teaming up with uh, Pam, you know. Our Bond girl for this film. And one of my mm -hmm. favorites, I yeah. must say. Um, yes, and he... Bond specifically... First time since Honor Majesty's Secret Service is undercover as someone not called James Bond. Well, I mean, he is still called James Bond, but he's basically... Like, I'm a rogue agent, and I'm for hire. So he works for Sanchez by and at the same time sabotages and ruins his life in revenge. Mm -hmm. It's like a Yojimbo or a Fistful of Dollars. You got someone working from the inside just destroying a criminal's uh, livelihood. Mm -hmm. And turning them against each other. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um... It's safe to say that this is both of our favorite James Bond film? Yeah, I would say so. I kind of flip-flop between this and uh, From Russia With Love, because From Russia With Love is more like the classical See, uh, I flip-flop from this to Living Daylights. Makes sense. That's fair. Like I said, uh, both are very 80s, but in different styles. Mm -hmm. Living Daylights obviously is way more, you know, Cold War era. It's a great spy thriller in that regard. Yeah. And License to Kill is the, what would you call it? Like the Miami Vice, you know, the, dealing with the drugs. Yeah, Scarface, and stuff. sort of thing. Scarface. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
It's an American action movie. It's more so than any of these previous ones have been. And it's so, this is a transition from classic Bond, which Living Daylights is really the last classic Bond movie, mm-hmm. to when we get to Goldeneye, where Goldeneye is straight up a 90s action movie. Um, yeah. So I'm not saying one's better than the other, but this is the transition happens to this film this is also one of the darkest bond films that didn't have daniel craig in it i would still say it's the absolute darkest yeah yeah it's probably the most brutal Mm -hmm. of all of them uh well i don't know casino royale's pretty gnarly true yeah but I was I would still say license is a bit more, especially with the gut punch at the beginning with Felix and his wife. Yeah, yeah, because it's implied that she was like assaulted and died a horrible death. Mm-hmm. Especially By... as I recall, the novelization makes that pretty. Oh yeah, yeah, and her whole death is also way more graphic in the book because she literally has a knife sticking out of her. Oh yeah, that's right. And then uh the the big thing with the novelization is that Felix this has already happened to him before because the Gardner books are in canon with the Fleming books. So he and, has and as we know, peg leg. Exactly. Because as we know, in the Fleming books, Felix Leiter gets uh, fed to a shark in Live and Let Die, the second book. And from there on, he has like a hook hand and like a fake leg. Which he and... still scuba dies with in the Thunderball novel, which is pretty funny. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, but the movie's obviously not shot in order or anything, or that close to the books after a while. Uh, but for License to Kill, they really pulled from Fleming, and especially Live and Let Die, and so they brought this element in. And yes. Novelization tries to be both a film adaptation and a continuation of the book timeline. Yes. So literally, Felix Leiter got fed to a shark twice. The and chapter is bit off his hook hand and peg leg. Yeah, and the chapter is literally called "Sometimes Lightning Strikes Twice." Yep, no subtlety whatsoever. And Bond says that lightning stri- strikes chi- twice. Shark Bo- Bond, when he walks in, he's like, "Oh my god." It has happened again. And then he <laughs> thinks, because Gardner can't have the scene with like the, the great message. He disagreed with something that ate him. So Bond, he's like, he's having like Vietnam flashbacks uh-huh. to, to like live and let die. And he's like, oh, solitaire, the, the events with Mr. Big, that horrible message. You know, he disagreed with something that ate him. Yeah. Which we should bring up that this is... Really, for the longest time, the last Bond film that really dives into Fleming work. Mm -hmm. This takes all sorts of really unpleasant things that were left out of the films and puts them in. Uh, For instance, the Hildebrand rarity um, with... Sanchez beating his girlfriend with the tail of a stingray. Mm-hmm. And then we got Milton Crest himself. Mm-hmm. 
And the wave crest, his ship, which is also nice. Yes. Just like random things. Random things, because there's not a whole lot left, because at this point they couldn't make Casino Royale. Still. Uh, they didn't have the rights to it, so they can't touch anything from that. But everything but else... I like, yeah, but I like that both Living Daylights and License to Kill, they really pull from the stuff, you know, and actually, and work that Fleming stuff in there to make their own original story. Mm -hmm. Similar this... to Octopussy as well. Yeah. Is this John Glenn's last film? That's his last film, and as he said, this is uh, his favorite one out of the five. It feels like it. It feels like a grand finale. Mm -hmm. Here and honestly, if Bond never continued. This is a good end. Yeah. Because it is. This is the last Cold War Bond film, even though the Cold War is not even involved in this. Mm -hmm. And after this, we have the six-year gap, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, do we want to? I don't want to get into everything in License to Kill. This is a movie you need to experience. Oh yeah, we can say that right away. Watch it. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's kind of the black sheep of the series, or at least it was for the longest time. I think people are coming around to it. Yeah, that's one positive I will say about the Daniel Craig era, is there is a lot more respect for this film. Not so much for Timothy Dalton's Bond still, but, like, this this film... Because I, this was, so, my mother, infamous for her love of Hallmark movies, and just diabetic, nasty crap like that. This was the only Bond movie she saw in the theater. Hmm. She had never seen a Bond movie. And she saw this on a date and never wanted to watch a Bond movie again. And... Then she watched Goldeneye with me on TV when I was a little kid, and she liked that. And then we rented Casino Royale, and she has since never watched a Bond movie again. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, she got to the, the, the whipping scene in Casino oh. Royale and got up and left and made me leave the room, too. I was so mad. I was, at, I was right at that age where, like... It wasn't long before I saw my first R-rated movie in the theater, so I was kind of at that stage where I could just sit and watch that. But I, since my sister got sent out of the room, I had to be sent out of the room. Hmm. My mom was offended. It was it was pretty funny, but anyway, yeah, this is a dark one. Um, I just want to bring up a couple things. Okay, you has a predominant role in this. Oh, which I'm so, you know, glad about. This is his best Q performance by far. Mm -hmm. He has so much to work with. It's fun. E even though a lot of the Q gadgets aren't used a whole lot, which I like that too. I mean, you do have the camera gun. Mm. If I have something to complain about. It is the camera gun. It's just a little too goofy for this tone of movie. But, I mean, it's a holdover from, like, the more stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I did like the plastic explosive cigarettes. Oh, yeah, that's that's great. Uh, that, that felt correct. Uh, just the camera gun's a little much. 
Um, I like the, does the, the, set up. The yeah, I, I just want to say I like the broom that Q has, where he has like I, the little oh. yeah uh, speaker thing in it, and then he just tosses it in you know in the trash. He throws it in the bush and walks away. Yeah. Um, I I the the palm the the camera gun has a palm reader, just like the Walther PPK does in Skyfall. Hmm. I don't know if that's a and it has like reference. the same it has like the same payoff. Yeah, it does actually. It does. Mm-hmm. Although it's done better in this movie compared to Skyfall. Yeah. Which I do appreciate they didn't just do the same exact thing again in Skyfall. Hmm. But because... I think that probably was a reference because Skyfall was like 50 years of Bond celebration. Similar to like Die Another Day where they referenced everything in the most obnoxious way. But Skyfall does isn't super obnoxious about that. It's not obnoxious about it. Yeah, I would say the references are more subtle, but they are definitely there. Oh, well, Die Another Day, the whole R scene is so bad. We'll get to that soon. Yeah, but this Q, this is his last hooray, basically. I know he's in the next three Brosnan films, but he doesn't have much to do because Desmond Llewellyn is sadly, like, really old, obviously. He can't do a lot of physical stuff. And he's grumpy Q in those. Yeah, in this one, it's fun because him and Bond, like, teaming up. I don't know. It, it's it's just nice. This feels more earned in a way. Yeah, I like I like it better than like in the Craig ones, uh, where Q is just running around with him. You know, the Scooby Gang Inspector. Yeah, I I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, I really like the Money Penny in this. Mm-hmm. I really like her. She doesn't have a whole lot to do in this. Same with M. Yeah, M's, what I recently learned, I don't know for sure if this is true, but if it is, it's amazing. That actor, Robert Brown, I think it is, uh, he already, like, retired from acting at this point. But then he came back for this movie, basically just because they promised him a vacation. (laughs) So so he came down to the place where they shot that scene with him and... At the Hemingway house. Exactly, the Hemingway house. And then you can tell uh, his other M scene in the office is the office is like rebuilt in a set somewhere. Mm-hmm. Which is more conventional to how the Bond office was. Like in the old days. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame because I really like the Living Daylights sort of set up with like Q Branch and all that. Um. Sorry, my neighbor's working on stuff way late into the night for no reason other than he's a prick, but it's beside the point. Um, yeah, the other other big thing to bring up is this is an early role for Benicio Del Toro. Yep. As the creepiest henchman ever. Mm-hmm. With his... his l- Silver the one tube? thing everybody remembers with him from this movie is his line, we gave her a good honeymoon. Oh god, he's so nasty. Mm-hmm. So nasty. And like, he's creepy. He's barely in the movie. As yeah, but he does gets, leave an impression. He gets punched in the face. It, Bond punches him in the face, which is pretty great. And then he gets fed into a cocaine machine. 
Like, yeah. for a heinous death. Mm-hmm. That might be the most heinous death in the whole movie. Might be a temple of doom. A dead or Milton Crest. No, oh god, yeah. He blows up. Ugh. That that's borderline an R rating. Only the eighties, I swear. Oh yeah, that that almost got them like they had to tone it down a bit. It's not like when uh Yafayette Koda blows up and uh what was that? Living day, uh, live and die. Yeah, that, that, that was comical. <laughs> uh, this death wasn't. <laughs> Turns into a balloon. <laughs> yeah, but uh, this one it ends with one of my favorite villain quips. Uh, you know what should we do with the money? Launder it. <laughs> yeah, of course, because this is an '80s movie. They're gonna have the one-liners. Mm-hmm. It's great. This movie's great. Um, I will say though, I remember. Do you remember? Do you ever watch the documentary about the Bond girls and they interview every Bond girl up until Casino Royale? I don't think so. And it's like a f- big feminist thing. Hmm. Apparently, the Bond girl in this hated Timothy Dalton. Hmm. I don't know if she still does or not. I it partly he seemed to be difficult to work with. He like explained mansplained to her how to kiss him, and she was real mad about that. Like two decades later, and I'm like, really? Or is it because your acting career never took off? Hmm. I don't know. It was it was a little bitter, but then they just focused on the whole Brosnan era and how all the Bond girls are super strong and that That's oh yeah cool. sure <laughs> yeah we we believe that yeah yeah two times and Berry. oh yeah she she's so strong she turns into a, a cartoon when she jumps off a cliff mm-hmm. i like how that i now i almost want to watch it just to laugh at it because it's like every new bond girl actress is like this is a different type of bond girl this time you know, one that's like strong, and it's like, I wonder what examples they are thinking of, with like, the cliche of like just the stupid bimbo in distress. Because I would say most of the Bond girls are, go- I mean, men with the golden gun, something like that. But- that's the worst. Well, that or diamonds are forever. Those are mm-hmm. the two worst examples. Yeah, but then the rest, you have like twenty other movies where it's like, no, they are all pretty good. Some of them don't have a lot to do. Yeah. But they there is an attempt. But again, this is the transition to what we would get with the Brosnan era, because she's a an Air Force pilot. Hmm. And so she flies around and does nothing at the end of the climax at the climax of the film. Well she does kind of rescue Bond, to be fair. But then yeah. when they're chasing the tankers at the end, she just flies around and does nothing. Except for crop dust a plane. Uh, crop dust a truck. Hmm. Which, God, that would suck. Imagine if you're driving your convertible. You don't have a convertible, I know this. But I've been in your car. But if you had a... Com- well, even in your car, can you imagine... 
getting crop dusted. Like, especially where you live with all those hills, you'd probably just fall. And mm-hmm. I'd probably just push you back down. Just, yeah. Anyway, this is a good one. Yeah, we, can, we have to talk about more stuff, especially the villain. I want to go into more detail with Sanchez. Yeah, he he's different in the sense he has a code of honor. Yeah. Which is, he's the only one, I think, that has a code of, like, like any sort of... He has the most depth, I think, mm-hmm. of any of the Bond villains. I know that's why I like really him like... the most. Yeah, that's why I like him the most, and the entire plot with Bond infiltrating his organization. Mm-hmm. He has a code of honor where it's like, you know, trust, you know, over everything. If someone mm-hmm. betrays him, and Bond turning his like henchmen against him and making him go like crazy and thinking everyone is against him, like making him extremely paranoid. That is absolutely excellent. Yeah. Um, I know people really liked the villain in Skyfall. Hmm. Um, and I, I get it. I, I fully get it. I can't remember what that character's name is. Uh, Raul Silva. That, that cool villain. Don't get me wrong. That's like one of the positives I have for Skyfall. But like Sanchez is just better. Sanchez is just better than I think even Blofeld. I prefer. Yeah. Just... Because Robert Darby just has that chemistry, like him and Dalton together in a scene. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. That is up there as the best stuff in the series. Like I said, I think he is legit the best villain we have in the entire series. And he's not even like, what what do you think of a Bond villain? Like this big megalomaniac who's going to destroy the world? He's, he's just a drug boss. He, he, here's the, the inverse of it. The villain in World's Not Enough. Which one? Electra King or Renard? Renard. Renard with, he's shot in the head. But he survived, and it means he doesn't feel pain. That's so stupid on so many levels. It's like, it's the inverse. Mm-hmm. I can name like several bad Bond villains. Uh, Quantum Half of, of them are Blofelds. What's that? Half of them are Blofelds. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the, the villain in Quantum of Solace is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah that's a good example Dominic Green because both he and Sanchez go for like a realistic villain because Sanchez doesn't really have a, like a cartoony villain gimmick yeah. he has his little reptile thing his iguana, pet, but that's, his iguana yeah but that's basically it I guess it's just legitimately because Robert Darby has just you see his face you know his it's just chemistry with Bond that's what sells it that guy mm-hmm. has just charisma yeah, he's he's great. His girlfriend's not the best actress in the world. <laughs> but she doesn't have a lot to, they don't give her a whole lot to do. Mm-hmm. We get the 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 awkward both Bond girls are into Bond. Sort of drama which I remember as a kid I didn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. It's like really this feels forced. 
it works and and Q having to explain that Bond's womanizing as part of the job is kind of funny because mm-hmm. it is the ultimate Bond thing it, it, it takes me back to the novel of um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service where he's supposed to be in love with Tracy and he's boning all these weird women in, in Blofeld's hideaway. Part of the job. Part of the job. Mm-hmm. Or is it? Or is it just Bond, you know, likes to live dangerously? A little bit of both. But uh, I like the I like the end with the, the lighter. Oh yeah. A poetic ending. Poetic ending. One of the more is it one of the most brutal deaths for a Bond villain? That Bond does it himself? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty... Pretty dark. Um, I'm trying to remember... Well, there's a lot of... Like, one-liner action. Um, I don't think it's the most brutal. I would argue the world's not enough. Electric King's death is more brutal. Hmm. Because he just plays into her craziness and lulls her into a state of just believing him and he flat out murders her. That's a Bond. That's a Fleming Bond thing there. This is this feels Fleming Bond. like Absolutely. This Even is, more so than Living Daylights. Oh yeah. Because it's the cold brutality of Bond is at at play here and i get it timothy dalton's not the best fighter in the world but he is scrappy he's physical after years of roger moore talking his way out of things Hmm. and occasionally throwing a karate chop from like a mile away you know i i'll take this yeah and i can't believe we haven't said it yet but timothy dalton's performance in this as bond is excellent uh huh. It's one of the best. It just mm-hmm. unhinged Bond. And just to think, because normally people say the third movie is when a Bond actor really like hits it. You know, that's the gold standard. Is the third performance. Mm-hmm. And it makes me more sad that we didn't get you know the third Dalton performance. And we'll f- imagine even better than this one. Yeah. Well, we can talk about a few of the the things that have been leaked. Okay. About it. Um the end here uh, but we we should say um license to kill was not a flop flop no. but it wasn't as successful as they had hoped because uh, partially because this was 1989 <laughs> and so many movies big movies came the out in summer of 89 like, you know like it was batman last crusade ghostbusters 2 was it back to the future too Back to the Future 2 or 3. I can't remember. Yeah, Back to the Future 2. two. In the and Back to the Future 3 came out in 90. Because they yeah. filmed them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Big year for... Big year for movies. Yeah, And I think this is... Because the Craig era obviously also goes darker. I think they also went more for like an American style. Yes. Like the action. Yeah, with all the slow-mo stuff, especially in the beginning with Felix and the other police running with the M16s. 
in slow-mo yeah. that feels so 80s hmm? like and so i would say this this movie is just the one bond movie where it really works going for that style yes because the next movie kind of leans into that too but differently hmm. which yeah can we which which one of these movies is better license to kill or the living daylights it depends on my mood honestly i think Same. they are both excellent like top three bond movies I, again it's it depends on what you want cold war spy thriller living daylights wins for sure 80s brutal dark edgy you know drama basically then definitely license to kill yeah and most of the days I prefer License to Kill because it's more bold and like daring to do something like that, to go full Fleming in a way. Mm -hmm. And that it's still fun to watch, even though it is yeah. the darkest one. And that's just in comparison to the Craig movies when we get there. Yeah, I, I keep thinking No Time to Die. Yeah. No Time to Die gets really wretched to sit through. This Especially as we get into the second half of it. Mm -hmm. Just unpleasant for the sake of unpleasant. Oh, another thing. We didn't talk about the score. Because no John Barry. Yeah, he retired after Living Daylights. But we get a solid score. Very different. I can't, for the life of me, remember who did it. Something came in. I think a relatively known guy for like 80s action stuff yeah uh, but yeah the soundtrack is good i like the the new sound for like the gun barrel sequence because that also already sounds darker yeah it's it's like oh we're in for it now but uh the license to kill song is really good oh yeah one yeah. of my favorites I, I think it's underrated the end song i think sucks it's just, if you ask me to, ugh. ugh. Yeah, not not as strong as the end song in Living Daylights. For sure. Which but the Pretenders yeah, finally released a single <laughs> with their two Bond songs on Spotify. So now you can listen to them. Nice. Because you can't listen to the Living Daylights soundtrack on Spotify. You can't stream it. I'm mm -hmm. not sure what the deal is. It's the only one of John Barry's um scores you can't listen to it's the living dialogues hmm. but yeah um okay and for the opening song it's great underrated i like that the beginning is just goldfinger like a remix basically yes it is i didn't think of that mm -hmm. um it's the first time well no it's not the first time because we had that on Her Majesty's Secret Service. They do a little... John Barry does a few things when he's looking at the mementos from previous Bond adventures and he starts playing a little bit of the theme. Mm, when they bring the yeah. music back, right. Yeah, but this is the first time in a while that this has happened. Mm -hmm. And it's done more subtly than uh, when the On Her Majesty's Secret Service plays no time to die twice yeah Hans Zimmer uh, he can't he can't 
compose anything anymore. It just sounds like Batman Begins. Everything sounds like Batman Begins now, which is not mm. a good score. You can fight me on that one, people. It's not good. French horns everywhere and two notes do not make a good score. Make a very boring score. And everything sounds the same with Hans Zimmer. Anyway. But yeah, License to Kill, The End of an Era. This is the last Bond movie that I truly loved. And it brought up, it's part of the debate. Should Bond have stayed dead as like a creation of the Cold War era? No. I mean, I would also have said no, even though I'm not the biggest fan of the later movies. But then I read on His Majesty's Secret Service, the new book. Oh, yeah. We which can... has a modern Bond talking about uh, COVID? political correctness and COVID and uh, Ukraine and Twitter and memes. There are memes about the villain on the Twitter that Bond is looking at. And it made me realize, oh my God, I wish Bond would have stayed in preferably the 50s and 60s even. Well, it's that that book. Well, why don't we we'll segue into that here? Because when we, I I mean, at some point we're gonna run out of things and we'll have to talk about that piece of trash. We both tried reading it now. I haven't told you. I tried reading oh. it. Oh my god! And gosh. I hated it. I got barely into it. I couldn't tell you because I immediately had to start reading Trigger Mortis as like a therapy. Because <laughs> it, it, it it's so bad. Well, part of the problem, Bond does not need to be carrying a Glock nineteen. It's like, I get why. It's a good gun. Don't get me wrong. I like the Glock nineteen as a gun. It's not a Bond gun though. I I get that he likes the German guns because he had Walter. Why is he not carrying like the Walter PDP? That's like a gun they designed for Bond that the, none of the Bond people will put in the in the the flipping films. It's like the ultimate carry gun. They've like, well, you know that they. I think we talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but the Walther um, P ninety nine used from Tomorrow Never Dies to. Uh, die another day is getting retired this year. Walther will no longer be making it, mm -hmm. which I think is sad. It's a great gun, it's a real great gun. Um, but it's outdated, that's why they made the PDP. It's more ergonomic, it's easier to conceal. Um, but for some reason, because nostalgia baiting is a thing, we have to still have the PPK, most outdated gun ever i mean why why doesn't he just carry a smith and wesson revolver at this point go back to the beretta 25 let's have useless guns mm -hmm. a bond carry a derringer it's just i don't get it i don't get it but the glock glock 19 it's a step in the right direction it's the only positive I was very thankful there was no PPK. 
That's the only thing I was thankful for because it was bad. It didn't feel like Bond. Yeah. It's the most not feeling like Bond I think I've ever read. Oh my god. Um, Did you even get to the part when he's like infiltrating the villain's party? No. And he, he oh my god. That's, that's around the time when I started, you know, just quitting the book. I like quit halfway through because Bond literally says it smells like toxic masculinity in here. And then he's like, oh my god, me. this villain only has white people here. No diversity whatsoever. He, his henchmen, the villain's evil henchmen and cohorts. Bond is like, not a single woman. Not not a single disabled person, no person of color. Do you want a bond? Do you want to kill a evil henchman in a wheelchair or what? It's so stupid. No, I I only got a few chapters in. I think I got to the meme thing and said no. Mm -hmm. But this was so long ago. I've read seventy four books this year, Noah. <laughs> so it's hard for me to oh remember my gosh. everything I've read. Um. I mean, it's fair to say I'm gonna review this book at some point. We'll I probably review, review all it on book. here. Yeah, that'll probably be the last episode of this podcast ever. <laughs> Unless, oh no, they bring out the the rest of the Double O trilogy. You know, the trilogy that doesn't oh, have God, Bond in yeah. it. Oh God, yeah. See, that was the thing that was shocking about on His Majesty's Secret Service because they didn't say anything about this book. They just snuck it out there. They've been promoting this diversity Bond trilogy where James Bond's missing. Uh, for like a two years now, yeah, they but were promoting this... it before No Time to Die came out, mm -hmm. and then on His Majesty's they pushed that out because the coronation, uh, King Charles and stuff, you know, to be in time for that. Mm -hmm. And you uh, can tell, this... yes, you can. T it, it is a really short book. It, um, it feels like a first draft, and it is absolutely, in every sense of the word, a cash grab. I cannot recommend it. It is literally all. the polar opposite of how Fleming would have written any book of his. There is no detail. There is nothing. Yeah, no detail whatsoever. Which, like, not I didn't expect like fifty-page philosophical discussions inside Bond's head. But the Queen is dead, and it's like Bond has existed since the same the same Queen all the time, and now it's King Charles. You know, Queen is dead. And I was thinking, okay, you do this book. Like, there has to be something with that in his mind. Like, mm -hmm. him thinking about that. But no, this is a reboot Bond. Which he has to be, basically, because modern day. But Because he'd be 80 at this point. Exactly. That would have been a more interesting book. Keep the Fleming timeline. Have, like, a 80-year-old Bond. At least it would be more interesting. Yeah... Yeah, this I don't is know. just because this isn't the first time they've rebooted Bond books. Because I'm thinking, Carte Blanc is yeah, yeah, was uh, but that has reboot. that but that has nothing to do with this one. It's like two separate modern day reboots. So maybe this is the lead in to that Bond is missing trilogy. <laughs> oh God, I mean that would be something, I suppose. <laughs> That's the only thing that would make sense to me. I don't know. Oh, did I even mention during that uh, party? Uh, he he also mentions all the bad guys henchmen are Trump supporters and yeah. against black people and 
against the COVID stuff, you know, all, all the bad things. Mm-hmm. It's just, I laughed at that stuff because it is so over the top stupid. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, it is. It's, it's like, that's, that's like a Bond book written by Stephen King, modern Stephen King. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, I'm going to segue though. Mm-hmm. I'm going to segue here to the, there was talks of a third Dalton Bond film. There were a couple, a couple of them. Yeah. One was an origin Bond story, mm-hmm. which didn't really go anywhere. Although it because they didn't have Casino Royale, they were doing something else. Yeah, that was basically just an idea. And then I know I think they finished at least two scripts for like uh, Dalton Bond three and four, right? Yes, one was because we know the third one where Bond's at a rodeo. Mm. And we were going to deal with... The big thing was his Bond was going to be world-weary. He was going to he was going to be very tired. And there's actually concept art of Dalton wearing a cowboy hat. I have it in a book. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fun. Isn't one of the plots about Bond going to, like, Hong Kong or something? Having to deal with, like, robots and microchips again? I've I heard that, remember too. that. They were all over the place. This was a six-year gap. Soviet Union mm-hmm. fell. They didn't know what to do. I know that, well, when you watch Goldeneye, we'll talk about this in the next episode, but it feels like a Dalton movie. For yeah. it, large it was, portions it, of it. Right, it was like a repurposed script. Yes, it was. But Dalton gave up about, I think, 93. He said he was not going to play Bond ever again. Yeah. And so they got Brosnan and Goldeneye happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should mention uh, famously, his third movie may have been called uh, The Property of a Lady after the Fleming story. That's just an internet rumor thing, and it was never officially yeah. confirmed, but I I liked it. Yeah. What else are they going to call it? 007 New York? Quantum Only... Solace? Oh, the Hildebrand rarity. Um, I think that's it. Risico. <laughs> Risico, yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah, that would work for any movie. It's vague enough. Casino Royale? Well, they couldn't do that at that point. But anyway. Highly recommend License to Kill. Go check it out. Mm-hmm. One of the best. Yeah. Shame it was his last one, but we got the great Dalton duology. Yes. So... Join us next time as we review Goldeneye. Later. Bye.